are listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. Y'all, I'm excited about this series um, because there is such this balance as you just saw in that video uh, when we talk about tough topics like there's this compassion and boldness that that feel opposite at times there's truth and love and as we talk about this series those are the type things that we're going to try to balance and try to do really well as followers of Jesus as we enter into some of these conversations and really before we jump in tonight I want to talk just for a second about what we mean when we're saying do not enter Um, So you know on Sunday mornings, Pastor Robbie right now, um, he's talking about the authority of God's word. He's talking about sexuality. He's talking about how our identity and our gender and all of that is ultimately found in Christ. Um, He's talking about this cultural moment that we're in, if you will, that we've talked some about already. Um, And that's, that's what we mean when we say do not enter because these topics sometimes feel like this place as believers that we're not supposed to go into. Like we want to avoid these topics or maybe we want to ignore them or maybe we want to avoid the awkward conversation, right? And we we feel like maybe those people or those sins or whatever you want to think of them as, those are places we don't go into. Or, Or maybe you're on the flip side of that conversation and you happen to live in one of those lifestyles. That's a reality for you. Um, and you look at the church, or maybe Christians in general, and you see the do not enter sign on the church. You say, this is not a safe place for me to bring my struggles or the things that uh, I wrestle with. That's what we're talking about when we say do not enter. And my hope for this series is that we will take the do not out of that. Because this is a moment for us to step into. Uh, It's honestly an opportunity for us as believers to display the good plan, the good design that God has for us. And I think when we do that and if we do it well, that's attractive to people. Like I think when people see us living a life that honors Christ uh, and entering into relationships with people that don't know Jesus and being part of productive conversations, which maybe we haven't always done well as Christians, I think people are going to find that attractive and maybe you want to know more of what it means to follow Jesus. So uh, I want to uh, just give you a couple of things to think about as we walk through this series, because it is a little different than, than things that we normally do. And we're not just walking through uh, a book of the Bible in a simple way like that. Like we're, we're taking some tougher topics, some taf- taboo topics, if you will, and we're trying to see what Scripture has to say about them. So it is a little bit different, um, and it's what our church as a whole is doing. So... We're going to follow really closely with what Pastor Robbie is preaching on Sunday mornings, um, and then we're going to put it in our context here when we gather on Tuesday nights. So the couple of things I want you to note as we start, uh, the first one is this, we have a place for you to text questions, if you have them, as they come up during this series. You probably know the phone number by now. It's our typical phone number for everything we do. Who knows it? The long hollow. This is great. You guys are, that was awesome. Um, 98173. You can text questions to that. We're going to address those some point later down the line. Um, And there are all kinds of questions on these topics, right? Um, And I want you to feel like this is a place that you can actually ask those. This is a safe place to wrestle with stuff. 
So please send in your questions because we, uh, we want to know what you want to know. How can we equip you uh, as staff members of the church? How can we equip you as the saints, right? The second thing is this. I'm going to do my best to be really thoughtful with everything I say over these next few weeks. Um, I'm probably going to say some heavy, hard things, particularly tonight for us as followers of Jesus. Um, and I'm probably not going to say everything perfectly. But know that I, I'm coming to all of these things from a place of humility, and I'm trying to learn right alongside you. And the last thing I would say is this. I really want you to prioritize Sunday mornings over this next four weeks. So show me, give me a show of hands. Just who would say you come to Long Hollow? This is not a condemnation thing. It's okay if you don't raise your hand for this. But who would say you come to Long Hollow twice a month at least? Raise your hand on Sunday mornings. You're here. Okay, good. That's a good number. I, y'all, I really, really want you to be here on Sunday mornings throughout September. Because under God, Pastor Robbie is our leader as a church, and, and I want you to hear what God is saying through him first, and then come to your life group and come in here, and we'll, again, we'll put it into our context. So please, please make that a priority over these next few weeks. Um, now, why, why do I say all of this? Because when we're talking about topics that can sometimes make us uncomfortable, Um, Like I said, it can be tempting to just kind of bury your head in the sand, just pretend they don't exist. It's a cultural thing. It's out there, and I'm just going to ignore it. What I want us to do over this next several weeks is I want us to be open to wrestling with some of our beliefs. Now, don't I don't want you to be scared when I say that. What What I want us to do is ask good questions of Scripture. Make sure we actually know why we believe what we believe. I want us to strain a little bit, if you will. Like, let's actually work. Let's do some work ourselves to strain our hearts and our minds to make sure we're in the right place when we, when we address these things that we're talking about. Um, Tim Keller says it in a way that uh, I never could in his book, The Reason for God. So I want to read this quote to you and to kind of set up everything we're doing in this series. Tim Keller says this. He says, believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts. That's a good thing. Not just their own doubts, but their friends' and their neighbors' doubts. It's no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them, right? You can't just live on your parents' parents' religion anymore. You're out in the real world, you're on your own now. Um, Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able to provide grounds for your beliefs to skeptics, including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive. We're in this cultural moment, um, and we've got to be able to be firm in our faith, and defend our faith with compassion and with love and with people in mind, uh, rather than just winning an argument. So let's jump into this. I think this is going to be really, really good for us as a group and as a church as a whole. And y'all, I'm not going to lie, this message has kind of had me messed up all day, and I'm hoping it's going to do the same thing to you um, so that we can all be in the same boat at the end of the night. So if you would open up to John 8 with me. John chapter 8 is going to be in the last third of your Bible. John chapter 8, what we find here is Jesus showing us the posture that we want to approach any issue with, Uh, but the posture that we want to approach people with. And that's one of the things that as as the church as a whole, I don't know that we've always done it really well, Uh, but Jesus shows us how to do it tonight um, when we're working with people. People is the word I want you to keep hearing tonight, people. But we don't label people by their sins. You, you have a name and you have a family, and that is, that's who you are. You are a person, right? You are not your sin. Um, so 
to, to see how good Jesus's posture is, the first thing we're going to see is the posture of the Pharisees in this story that we're looking at tonight. Uh, the posture the Pharisees have is totally, uh, I would call it, anti-gospel. It's totally opposite of the way Jesus does things. So let's see the posture the Pharisees have. We're in John 8. We're starting in verse 2. Verse 2 says this, At dawn he went to the temple again, talking about Jesus, and all the people were coming to him. So he sat down and began to teach them. So Jesus has a crowd here. Verse 3, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center of that crowd. Teacher, they said to him, This woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And they asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So I want you to put yourself in this scenario for a second. Think, uh, who would raise their hand and say they love public speaking? Like, that's something you enjoy. I'm almost totally alone in this. Some of us are on the radio for a living, um, so you like that. But no public speakers in here except for like three of us, right? I know we all know we realize we're weird in that. Um, who likes just being front and center, the center of attention in general? Is that any? Is there, okay, we got another hand at least. Okay, so look, like 98% of the room does not want to be the center of attention. Like the worship, the production team, it, it would be, you know, you know it about the production team, but like the worship team, even some of them are like, I don't love being up in front of people. I'm like, that's confusing to me. Siri. I don't know why Siri, Siri wants to be uh, front and center, apparently. Um, so none of us like being front and center for the most part, right? Especially not when it has to do with our sin. Like if I called for a volunteer to come up here and air your sins to the rest of us, everybody's shrinking back in their chair, right? Like there are no hands going up real quick in that scenario. But that's exactly what the Pharisees have just done to this woman. And now before we pile on the Pharisees, we're... <laughs> We're going to do that in a second. But I want to defend them for just a second. So there's the Pharisees are several different groups of people in the religious realm at this time. you got the, the Essenes, the Herodians, the Pharisees, all these names. The Pharisees, those are the ones you need to know for tonight, they were extremely devoted to the text, to the Word of God. That was what they thought about when they woke up in the morning and when they went to bed at night. That's where their devotion lied, was obeying the Word of God. And they're pushing back against a culture uh, that would say, uh, the worldview of the day, that would say, look, you do what you want to do as long as you're obedient to the government and you're not bothering anybody else. Just you do you. We're not worried about it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's very, very similar to the culture we find ourselves in today, right? So they're committed to upholding God's world, word in a culture that wanted to answer to no authority other than self. Again, very, very similar to where we find ourselves today. And we, we could actually probably learn something from them and their devotion to the Word of God. Now, that's kind of where I'm going to end standing up for the Pharisees in this scenario, because they get a lot of things wrong too, right? Uh, I think their head maybe is in the right place on some stuff, but y'all, their heart is so off in a few different ways. And like I said earlier, I really think they approach this woman from an anti-gospel posture, an anti-gospel posture. Obviously, this is a totally intentional scenario that they brought this woman into. I, I think, I mean, they had to have known this was going on. Like it says it was dawn. Like this is the morning we're talking about. They had to have known this was going on. 
I think they probably, I mean, probably maybe a strong word, but they might have pulled this woman from this adulterous scenario she was in, dragged her out of the bed she shouldn't have been in, and threw her down in front of Jesus. Like, that is a nightmare scenario for this woman. Now, as a side note that we'll touch on later, you can't commit adultery by yourself. <laughs> so where, why is it just the woman that they've brought here? We'll talk about that another time. But, but by forcing her to the center, they have put this woman and her sins and all of the dark secrets that she has on full display in front of Jesus and in front of the crowd that's here. What a terrible scenario. That's not a place any of us wants to be. And it makes me think of a, a story I've heard once before. There's a photographer named Kevin Carter. Maybe you've heard this before. In 1993, he took a photograph in southern Sudan that actually won him a Pulitzer Prize. So this is like the height of a career for a photographer, right? This is a big deal. He's being uh, interviewed all around the world. This photograph made him famous as a photographer. The problem with this photo was that it ultimately resulted in him taking his own life a year later. And I'm not even gonna show the picture. We, we couldn't find a great one anyways, but it's a hard picture to look at. It's of a little girl in Sudan She's crouching down. You can tell she's struggling with starvation. And the problem with the picture is that behind her is a really big vulture staring at her. Like this, if you can picture this in your mind, you can look it up later and see it. Like it's a hard picture to look at. This vulture is just waiting to see if this little girl is going to die so he can step in. And the problem with the picture for Kevin was that he kept being asked the question, what happened to the little girl? And he didn't know. He didn't have an answer to the question. He saw it as his duty to present the picture and to present the scenario, not to step into it. And ultimately, the guilt led in him into a deep depression and ultimately suicide. Y'all, I want you to think, have that image in your mind. I think that is maybe a picture of what this woman felt in this moment. Like she is totally exposed, all of her secrets on the table, and she's got the religious leaders of the time ready to pounce on her, ready to devour her. That's a lonely place to be, right? And church, I think that is some of, how some of us feel at times, if we, if we would be willing to admit it, especially when it comes to sexual sin in our life. Like, that is the last thing we want to admit to anybody because we feel like if we do, we're going to be in that scenario. We're for sure going to be looked down upon. We're going to be judged. And man, I do not want to feel that loneliness. I don't want to feel isolated like that. Uh, can we all agree that is the opposite of how the church ought to be? That is the opposite of how the church ought to be. And, and a lot of times that is, that's not, we don't feel like it's that at least. We don't feel like it's a safe place to bring our struggle. So how, how do we avoid that kind of posture? How do we avoid people feeling that way uh, when, they, when they bring up something they're struggling with in their life? I think we've got to go back and look at the Pharisees' motivation here. So look back at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us, it lays out all their cards. Verse 6, it says, They asked this to trap him, to trap Jesus, in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So the Pharisees, they've already decided what they think about Jesus. They don't like him. They don't like his teaching. Before they even enter the conversation, they are firm in what they believe. They don't like Jesus. They are not going to give him the time of day. All they're trying to do is catch him so they can do away with him. And maybe that's you in the room. I don't know everybody's story in here, 
And I would ask maybe if, if that's you, maybe you're really, really skeptical of Jesus and you honestly don't want to give him the time of day. You've written him off before you've given him a chance. Uh, what would the harm be? in investigating scripture and giving it a chance. Maybe, maybe you read the word of God and you feel so confirmed in your beliefs, uh, but maybe, maybe if you investigated, maybe you would see a different kind of Jesus than you thought you would find. Maybe you would find a God that's actually really attractive, that you find that loves you and wants a relationship with you. Maybe you would have a whole new outlook on the world. Maybe that's somebody in here. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, uh, I want you to see the flaws in their motivation here. So clearly they're in it to uh, bring up controversy. They're, they're excited to enter into controversy. Um, and I don't see Jesus doing that. I don't see Jesus going around looking for fights. It, fights find him for sure. But I don't see Jesus going around looking for fights, looking to uh, uh, enter into this uh, controversial scenario. So Maybe, maybe that is you. You're a follower of Jesus and you really enjoy an argument. Maybe you enjoy getting into the Twitter fight. Maybe you're looking for a debate to be a part of. And if that's you, I would just encourage you to ask yourself the question, why? Like, why do I get so much out of engaging in the argument? Well, why do I kind of go looking for a fight, if you will. Because see, the, this, here, here's why I say all of that. The Pharisees, the Pharisees' concern in this scenario, their concern is for their own reputation. They do not care about this woman. This woman is simply a tool to make their argument. That is all she is in their eyes. And I think we would all agree that is not how we want to be perceived. Their, their motivation was to be right, and it caused their posture to be separation from a person. And it's the same for us. When our motive is to be right, we can't help but separate ourselves from people and only focus on the issue at hand. When our motivation is to be right, it forces us to have a posture of separation. And that is not how Jesus did things. Friends, we can stand firm in the Bible and everything that it says and also love people well at the same time. Those go hand in hand. They shouldn't be one or the other. We can do that. And Jesus shows us the posture that we ought to have in the rest of this story. So as we look at 6 through 11 here, we're going to see that posture that Jesus took with this woman. And man, it's encouraging. Now, I want you to see this. Look back at verse 6. It says, Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. I'm going to answer the question, what was he writing in just a second? Verse 7, when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again. Keep noticing his posture that he takes in this story. Then he stooped down again, and he continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Where are they, woman? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. And neither do I condemn you, said Jesus, Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, y'all know this, but our words say something, but our body language also speaks, right? Like I just 
last night sitting in bed, I googled body language, and there were over 5 billion results that came up in 0.78 seconds. Sometimes I think Google's making this stuff up. Um, but it was that quick that, that you can study anything when it comes to body language. Our body language means something. Like uh, the time that I, one of the times I went to prom and the girl that I went with when we showed up, I did not see her again for the rest of the night. Her body language, or lack thereof, told me she was just not that into me, right? Uh, she just needed somebody to take her. And I was the one that paid for dinner. So she was willing to go with me. Her body language said something about what she was thinking and feeling, right? Um, and, and being a, a perceptive guy, I was able to figure that out. Uh, but we got details here. We've got details about Jesus's posture, and I don't think it's an accident that they keep being mentioned, his literal posture. So first, what does he do? He kneels and it says he starts writing with his finger. Oh, I love this part. He kneels, he starts writing with his finger. I told you he was going to answer the question, what was he writing in the dirt? And I was making that up. Nobody knows. Everybody gets caught up on that. Y'all, we don't know. It doesn't say what he said. We don't know. We're never going to know. If we needed to know, it would have said it in there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what he said. Watch what he's, watch what he's doing with his body language instead. Uh, that's, that's the part that I'm interested in. He kneels. And what I want you to notice is that he didn't respond immediately. He's got the Pharisees questioning him, and he doesn't respond right away. Is that a lesson we could use today? Um, I think so. Uh, he doesn't do that. And I, I think today in 2022, when, we, when you can get 5 billion results on Google in 0.78 seconds, like we're expected to have immediate responses for every question that comes up. And we expect the same thing of other people. And, you know, that's, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair to either side, right? Um, it's okay if you take a second. And I, this, is, this is speculation. I can't prove this. But I wonder if Jesus was tempted to speak before he thought. He's human, right? I wonder if he was wise enough to just take a second to calm down and to ask God to pray and to ask God what he might say in that moment. Um, he was wise enough to take a deep breath before he spoke, right? I wonder if maybe that's all he was doing. Maybe it was that simple. But man, that's a radical idea for us, right? Um, I want you to see a principle from some of Jesus' words in Matthew 10. I want you to keep this, this verse close to you throughout this series and beyond, but, but especially during this series. And I'll tell you why in just a second. Matthew 10, verses 19 and 20. They say this, but when they hand you over, so when you're, when you're being persecuted and questioned, uh, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Y'all, before you respond to anybody in any scenario, would you take a second and pause and trust God to speak through you? Now listen, Throughout the next several weeks, and honestly, for years to come, I've seen it at Pastor Robbie's former church, there's going to be all sorts of things said online and maybe even to your face uh, about Pastor Robbie, about Long Hollow, about God, about Scripture. And it's going to be stuff that is really, really frustrating at times. You're going to see all that stuff. I promise you will. And here's my challenge to you. I want you to believe that you don't have to respond. It doesn't mean you lost if you don't respond, okay? Does that make sense? 
We don't have to enter into these conversations. But if you do feel the Lord leading you to respond, yeah, let's just make sure we do this in a Christ-centered, in a Spirit-led way, okay? Let's be careful with our words. I pray that people coming out of the series, when they interact with people from Long Hollow, they would say, man, those people are actually willing to have a productive conversation with me. Like They actually seem interested in me, in a friendship with me, rather than just winning an argument, right? I think that's how we're going to uh, see people come to know Jesus, through, through topics like these. Jesus kneeled initially, but what does he actually do when he responds to the people? He stands. He stands, right? And again, I think his posture is significant. Jesus is not scared of their questions. He's not scared of those questions. He stands up and he faces the people that are questioning him. He's not fearful of their ability to win an argument. He confidently stood and he spoke truth to them. And it made me think as I was studying this passage, it made me think of one of my favorite lyrics from the song King of Kings. It just says, this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. Y'all, we have nothing to fear as followers of Jesus. Uh, The gospel is not scared of 21st century ideology. Jesus was not scared of his accusers then, and he's not scared of his accusers today. And we can live in that same confidence because of the truth that he told these guys. This is the really, really encouraging part. What what does he say to him in verse 7? It says, he stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Yet another mic drop moment from Jesus, right? Again, he, he kneels after that. He starts to write in the dirt again. Again, we're not worried about it. I think maybe he was stepping out of the way and letting the Spirit do a work in those guys, right? And they walked away. They couldn't handle the conversation. They realized they were in the wrong from one sentence that Jesus said. And, I, and again, I'm not concerned with what uh, he was writing in the dirt. Again, because it says they left because of what they heard. And what they heard was something that was very personal to them. So let me make it personal in this room for all of us. So who would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm without sin. I could cast the first stone. None of us are raising our hand for that, right? Who would say, yeah, I I got no sin. It's cool for me to point the finger at somebody else. None of us, right? That's why this is so encouraging. I know it feels heavy. I know it feels like, oh man, I've been judging people. Like this this is hitting home, right? I know it feels heavy. But the encouraging thing is we are all in the same boat. People that don't know Jesus yet and those of us that do know Jesus already, we have the same need for Jesus and we have the same access to Jesus. You know, that is good news. But what we need to do, you know, we need to create a new normal within the church. Please let it start in this room right here. Like, you know, we've got to be willing to actually step out and trust somebody with sin in your life. Like you gotta, you got to just do it one time and see that you, your friend was trustworthy. And you've got to be a trustworthy friend when somebody does bring something up to you, right? And if, we, if we can't open up about sin in, in this room amongst friends, right, how can we ever expect somebody to walk in these doors that doesn't know Jesus um, and be open about something going on in their life, right? We've got to create a new normal. Let it start in this room. And I, and I want to be the one that sets the tone for that. Like, I'm not going to ask you to do it uh, if I'm not going to do it, right? 
Um, so there are, now there are plenty of things in my life that I would rather you not know. Um, I've, I've got plenty of sin in my life. I'm by no means uh, better than any of you because they give me a microphone on Tuesday night. Uh, yesterday, I had to apologize to Rachel for something I said and the way I said it. This morning, I'm driving to church, and I'm literally, I'm going over this message, and a thought pops into my head, and I was like, wow, that was condemning. That was judgmental. This is humbling. Um, it, it happens all the time, right? None of us is any better than another. Pornography was part of my life in college. Praise God that's in the past, but that's, that's reality for me. I imagine it's reality for some of you. Uh, I can be way more selfish than I care to admit as a dad and as a husband, uh, I get jealous of other people's houses or how much they make or their trucks or the fact that they got family in town and it's easier for them to go on a date night. There's a lot of contentment issues there with me. I mean, y'all, I tend to turn to food as a stress relief. There, there's all sorts of stuff. I got plenty of stuff going on, and, uh, and I want you guys to see that so that you might be willing to open up yourselves. Um, I, I've got all kinds of issues. I'm sure I'm leaving plenty of things out. Um, but I certainly cannot cast the first stone at any of you. And as we finish this account, uh, Jesus gives us one more glimpse into his posture as he finally addresses this woman. Jesus stands again. And I think it's significant again. Look, this woman, Jesus is now looking her eye to eye. He has brought her into the conversation. Think about it. The, in this whole scenario up to this point, she's been talked about. And now Jesus is actually talking to her. Like he stands up and looks her in the eye and tells her, he's telling her in that moment, like, I, I love you. And then what does he tell her to do? Now, he, the, is this what he says? He says, is no one left to condemn you? Okay, well then keep, do your thing. Nobody condemns you. Keep going living the life you're living. No, that's not what Jesus said. We, we, we tend to lean on the, the love side of things, right? And then we never get around to the truth. And Jesus balances truth and love so well right here. He doesn't just let her off the hook for the lifestyle that she's embraced. Um, he tells her he doesn't condemn her either. He loves her and he tells her not to sin anymore. And y'all, that order is important. Like she understood, I think, in this moment that he loved her. Then he pointed out um, ways that she needed to change her life. That's a lesson we need to take outside these walls. Look, the, the point of all this, it's not to avoid awkward conversations that might make someone feel guilty about something. No, that's, that can't be how we do things. But the point is to develop relationships that might actually lead to someone uh, repenting and trusting Christ. So do you, do you know anybody that, that doesn't know Christ already? Do you have friendships outside of your your uh, one group that you come to church with on Tuesdays and Sundays? That's the question I would challenge you with because as we look at Jesus's motivation and his posture compared to the Pharisees, think about this. Jesus's motivation was to love this woman and it caused his posture to be to draw near to her. So when our, when our motivation is love and people, it causes us to draw near to people. And that's the posture that we want to display as followers of Jesus. You see, Jesus, this, this is the reason he drew near to her. In his infinite knowledge, he knew this woman's story, right? Like he didn't see the word adulterer written in scarlet on her forehead. 
He, he saw a girl. He saw how she was raised. He saw the family she was born into. He saw all of the scenarios that led her into this adulterous situation that she found herself in. And he doesn't let her off the hook for it, but he also doesn't condemn her because he has compassion for her, right? And I hope that's the way that we might start to operate if we're not doing so already, y'all. It's easy to point the finger at sin whenever it doesn't have a face. It's just them out there. It's a, it's a thought. It's a mindset. It's an ideology. It's easy to point the finger at that. But it's different when you draw close to a person. It's different when it's your brother or sister who's caught in the affair. It's different when it's your friend that you've grown up with who's all of a sudden in rehab because they can't shake a habit. It's different when, when it's somebody that you've had a discipling relationship with for many months and all of a sudden they've told you, man, I've been looking at pornography almost every day since we met. Or they're telling you after all these months, I've got to tell you, man, I struggle with same-sex attraction. It's different when it's a person. It's really, really different uh, when you know somebody by their name instead of their sin. That's a whole different scenario when you know somebody by their name rather than their sin. And I hope that's the mindset that we will take throughout the rest of the series and beyond. It's a mindset of loving people. People. Yeah, because y'all, we all have the same need for Jesus, the same access to him. If you want to talk about evening the playing field, there has never been more level ground than the ground that a cross was inserted into and Jesus was hung on it. Like that ground is level. None of us are more deserving or less deserving. That ground is level because praise God, the cross is the great equalizer, y'all. The cross is a great equalizer for her. So in the same way, Jesus doesn't condemn this woman. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't condemn me. He doesn't condemn the person that you are tempted to condemn in your mind. He doesn't condemn them either but he does love them and he points them to a whole new lifestyle that is so much better than the lifestyle that we would choose for ourselves, right? And this is why we can thank the Lord because there is no more condemnation for anybody in Christ Jesus, right? That is why we can thank the Lord. Let me pray this over you guys. Father, thank you for the fact that it is true that you love us and you see us in all of our mess and you love us. You don't condemn us. You don't call us out. You don't uh, put our sins on display in front of other people. You just love us, Lord. And you call us to something higher. You call us to something good. You call us to a good design and a good plan that you have for our life. And Lord, would you help us to embrace that individually? And you, would you help us to take on the same posture you had with this woman? when we encounter people in all different walks of life. God, I pray as we walk through this series that this would be a room of humility, that this would be a room filled with compassion for other people, that it would be a place that we can be open and honest. Lord, I pray over our church that we that would be true of all of us. God, would you protect Pastor Robbie and his family throughout this series? Lord, we love you. We want to live lives that honor you. Would you empower us through your spirit to do just that? We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.